man. We are uh, so pumped and excited. It is one huge weekend at Propel Church. And uh, for those of you who are here with us for the first time, we want to say welcome, church. Can you help me welcome everybody here for the first time? Come on. Come on. Well, we're, we're so grateful and thankful. And if you are with us for the first time, my wife and I started this church a little over four years ago with the hope uh, that there was a place where church didn't have to be endured when it could be enjoyed. So we pray you have a great time today. Uh, the only thing that we ask is that you take that Connect card, and as you leave today, you just go by the Welcome Center and exchange that for a gift. We've got first-time gifts and uh, something new we're starting. We've also got gifts for you if it's your second time here. So stop by that table. We would love to exchange some information with you so that we can help you get connected here at Propel. If you are here with us again for the first time, uh, so pumped that you're here. If you're tuning in online with us, we're excited as well. want to let you know one thing before we dive into today's message, which is that we have a big announcement on uh, Sunday, November 10th. So next Sunday, uh, we're going to announce something, and I'm pumped for it. I got to be honest. I'll give you a little hint. I'm going to tell you next week. And, uh, and see, you thought, you thought. No, but we're, we're so excited. God's doing some incredible stuff, and uh, would love for you to join us next Sunday as we share that. Um, I uh, am excited to open God's Word with you today. I I think that God's going to give you some fresh revelation from a passage of Scripture that uh, we have read a lot. If you grew up in church, you're very familiar with the story of David and Goliath. But what I would encourage and challenge you to do is lean in today because there's some truths tucked inside of God's Word. If I could teach you anything this morning, one of the things that I'd love to share with you is that the best thing you can do is not just read God's Word at surface level. If you just read over it and you read really quick, and you, you're going to miss some things that He's placed inside there that give you and I some truths that unlock His plans and purposes for our life. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. There's this giant named Goliath that we're going to talk about. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to, it's going to be available on the screens behind me, but we'd also love to give you a Bible. So if you stop by the Next Steps area, we have a free Bible that we'd love to give you as our gift for saying, hey, thanks for wanting to read God's Word. That's, that's a win in our book, so we'd love to give you one. So to bring you up to speed, just what we're going to talk about today, I think you and I all have giants in our lives. Some of us have the giant of fear, and it cripples us. Others of us are battling with the giant of insecurity. Insecurity is one of those things that not only affects you, but it affects everybody around you, right? Some of y'all need to learn how to take a compliment. So, so, and you know who you are, right? When people come to compliment you, and you just, oh, it's not me, you know? It's like, just say thank you, right? Some of you have different giants that you're battling with or wrestling with, like, like the approval of man. So you wake up every day wondering if people are going to uh, approve of your actions and you base all of your life decisions around that. Others of you are battling with the giant of anxiety. Others, the, battle, the giant of envy and maybe even selfishness. I don't know what your giant is that you're facing today, but here's what I do know. All of us have giants. All of us have these little things that have popped up at some point in our lives, probably issues we chose to not deal with when they were small and have now become really big things. We all have giants. And with that in mind, I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 17. To bring you up to speed, David is a shepherd boy and his dad looks at him one day and tells him, hey, you need to take uh, basically a picnic basket to your brothers who are in the camp up the road. They're 
in war, we're going to send you with some food. So David goes into the campground, and when he walks into the campground, he sees that there is this giant named Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 verse 4 says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, that'll be important later, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was about six cubits and a span. You're saying, I don't even know what that means. He's about nine foot six, right? So I'm like six two if I keep my shoes on, right? <laughs> so I saw a couple six two people going, no, he's not, right? <laughs> Come on, y'all know y'all lie to the doctor too. I'm like, I ain't taking my lifts out for nothing. I'm every inch I can take. So nine foot six inches roughly. That's a big dude. He was a giant named Goliath. He comes out from the Philistine camp and he stands in the middle of the battlefield. And basically what he does is he calls God a chump. He says, your God is not really the real God. Do this though. You send out your best warrior to fight me. And rather than all of us going to battle, it's going to be one on one, winner take all. You send your guy, I'm going to fight for our camp, and whoever wins is going to be the victor. But everybody in the camp of Israel gets quiet. When you see a nine, if I'm a kid on the playground, I'm not picking the biggest kid to fight. Because I was the biggest kid, and I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not going to pick that guy. I'm not fighting him. And that's the position that Israel has. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's kind of terrified. And David rolls up into camp with his picnic basket, and he's going, hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who stands against the armies of the living God? Those are Christian cuss words back in David's day. He's telling him, I can't believe that you guys are just going to let somebody talk about God that way. Because David had this righteous anger that was stirring up within him. Nobody talks about my God like that. Yeah, you guys might be afraid, but I'll, I'll step up to fight. So then David gets ready to fight him. He's, he's excited. He's resolved in his heart that he's going to fight Goliath. But he goes through the proper channels of authority, and he goes to talk to King Saul. King Saul looks at him and goes, you can't fight him. We're certainly going to lose. Then he thinks about it, and he's like, well, nobody else is volunteering. So David looks like the guy for the job. What Saul then tries to do is Saul puts his armor onto David and hands him his sword. David starts to walk around realizing that this armor is not the right fit for him. This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put it into the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. See, in David's conversation with King Saul, what he had realized is that God had actually been preparing him for this moment his entire life. Because some of you may currently find yourself in a field season where you feel like it's wasted. But what you need to know is David didn't start out as a giant slayer. He started out as a person who defended the sheep. And God was preparing him every step of the way. So David has been prepared. Now he's fighting with the the right weaponry. So David grabs the sling. He grabs the stone. And he is ready to throw down with Goliath. Goliath, nine foot six inches. David's probably a solid five two. (laughs) All my short people were like, amen. (laughs) Go David. This story is about me. 
So David's on one end of the battle, Goliath's on the other, and David starts running full force towards Goliath. No fear, no worry. He slings his sling, releases it. The stone hits Goliath and immediately falls. Before he does this, it says this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. You come against me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This is the day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you, and I will take your head. He's ready to fight. So David throws the stone, hits Goliath in the forehead. Goliath falls. David then goes over, grabs Goliath's sword, and cuts off Goliath's head. And you'd think that that's when the battle would be over. Because what happens after that is David would go on to eventually become king. He's fought a lot of battles. He's had some great wins, but he's also made some pretty big mistakes. This guy after God's own heart tends to find himself in some situations and some predicaments that really wouldn't indicate that he's really got it all together. But it shows you and I that God can use imperfect people for his perfect mission every single time. So David is going through a lot of stuff. Then I want to take you all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 21. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, we've come out of 1 Samuel. Now we're into 2 Samuel. David is a lot older in life, and it says this. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. So David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines. Now, based on David's track record, if I'm taking anybody to fight with me, against the Philistines, I'm taking the giant slayer. He did it on round one, and it was easy. But it says this time was a little different. Uh, He went to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ish and Ben and one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zerulah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out to battle with us, so that the lamp of Israel won't be exhausted. David is much further along in his life. Yes, he took one stone initially, and he defeats the giant named Goliath. And some of us look at our life, and we think that just because we defeat one giant that the battles are over. But the truth is, battles are going to happen for the rest of our lives. There are giants, there are oppositions, there are things that come against us. If you read the next couple of verses, what you're going to find is that there are some giants that had come against David in this moment. One of them was specifically named as one of Goliath's brothers. I want you to think about this for a second. David goes to the camp with his brothers. We find out Goliath has some brothers too. David shows up. To the battle, not with one stone. Scripture's clear that David had five stones. Four stones left over. Let me show you. First Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 22. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath. But David and his warriors killed them. I want to talk to you today because I believe that David showed up in 1 Samuel 17 with five stones 
to kill five giants. But he only killed one. And what you and I get to figure out today through opening God's word is why David would settle for killing one giant when he could have defeated everyone that day. Because I think this is where we live. I think this is where we get stuck. I think God has given you and I everything we need to conquer every giant in our life. And we settle for one when we could have five. So if you're taking notes, first thing I got for you this morning is this. The giants I don't kill today come back later. The giants I don't kill today come back later. I don't know if you're battling with anxiety. I don't know if you're battling with fear, insecurity, depression, approval of man, selfishness, pornography, alcohol, whatever your issue is, you and I have to understand that the giants we don't kill come back later. I wonder if David kills Goliath thinking, I guess the other giants are afraid now. Maybe they'll never come back. But notice that they didn't come back at a point where David was stronger. They came back and David was actually weak. The enemy waits for the moment that you get weak. He sees an opportunity. He is crafty and divisive. His schemes have been the same from the foundation of the world. He doesn't wait until you become stronger. But so many of us avoid the giants in our life because we feel like, well, if we're just a little bit stronger, then maybe we can actually fight that. But what the enemy does is he waits. He waits for those moments where you and I are at our weakest. And when we are at our weakest, he sends his army full force. See, because what David saw as four more giants in the land, Goliath's brothers saw as an opportunity to get revenge. Because every ground you take from the enemy, he wants to take it right back and more. That's why Jesus says when he's talking about getting rid of a demon in somebody, he says if you remove the demon from a house and you don't fill it with something, he's going to come back with even more. Because what the enemy does when you kick him out is he goes and he gets a new battle plan. And he comes back with more force. So the giants I don't kill today come back later on in life. I think it's interesting that Goliath didn't start out as a man who was nine feet, six inches tall. He was once a baby. And with the passing of time and the nurturing of others, this baby became a child. This child became a teenager. This teenager became a man. And this man turned into a giant. And in the same way, oftentimes, the giants we have now start out quite small. We begin with a little bit of sin in our life, and it started as a little sin that we allowed, nurtured, fed, and maybe even encouraged, and then it later on becomes a giant that taunts us. What you and I need to do today is kill all the giants in the land. I don't want to live my life only have defeating one giant when I could have defeated every giant that stands in my way. Because the truth is, not ignoring giants is kind of like a a flat tire. So in my car, I have this um, indicator. It's this little orange light lives in the corner of my dash. And what it tells me is um, that my tire pressure is low. I've got to be honest, I don't trust it. Because it gets cold, and then it tells me that my air pressure is low. And so I get in my car, and I look, and I'm like, my air pressure is low. So I get out, and I look at my tire, and on the outside, it looks fine. So I get back in my car. Some of y'all are like, oh, I know where he's going. (laughs) So I get back in my car, and I start driving. 
and it's good. In fact, I've driven with that tire pressure sensor on for like three months <laughs> before, and it looks okay. Everything looks fine on the outside, but then there's that one day where like you get about halfway down 49, and you think it's the rumble strip, but you realize... you realize you're in the middle of the road. It's not the rumble strip. It's your tire. Boom, 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 boom. And you pull over. And then you have a bigger issue to deal with. Then you got to replace the rim and you got to replace other things that you, because the, the things you ignore now don't fix themselves. They become bigger problems down the road. So I want to show you the reason why David only kills one giant. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 and 46. So David said to the Philistine, this is him talking to Goliath, you have come against me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Now, main character of that sentence is the Lord. The Lord will blank. He will deliver you. It's not a, the Lord might deliver you. It's not that the Lord could possibly come through at the end. This is the Lord will, which is a statement of confidence. It's a statement of declaration. I have no doubt whatsoever that today I'm going home and you're not. Today the Lord will deliver you into my hands. But then David shifts the main character. He says, and I will strike you and take your head from you. So in one sentence, I believe what God showed me is that David shifted from this being all about God to being all about David. The reason why David only kills one out of five giants that day is because of pride. Because pride takes control out of God's hands and it places it in mine. Pride is the very thing that will keep you and I from experiencing the plans and the purposes that God has for our lives. Pride is the very thing that, that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Because, you know, Satan used to be a worship leader. I'm just saying, Noah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Satan used to be a worship leader. Here's the thing, though. He thought he could do it better than God. And how often does God give you and I a battle plan for how to overcome the things in our life, but we take over thinking we could do better? The reason why David stops in one giant is because David took over for God. David felt like he could, in his own strength, do something. And I'll show you why we know it's David's own strength. Because the weapon that God gave David was not a sword, it was a sling. So David has a sling and a stone, and it defeats the giant. And then David picks up Goliath's sword to kill Goliath, to cut his head off. Do you remember just a few chapters earlier what David said was not the right weapon for him? It was the sword. So David has now shifted the very weapon that God gave him. Maybe the reason why giants aren't falling in your life is because you're choosing to pick up the wrong weapon. Because David only kills Goliath with a sling and a stone. Pride takes control out of my hands. It takes control out of God's hands and it places it 
in mind. With a sling, David is operating in God's power, but with a sword, he's operating in his own strength because it wasn't his weapon. God gave David the tool to take out every giant that stands against him. But David then made the decision to take over for God. To say, you know what, God, I know you're going to deliver him into my hands, but here's what I'm going to do. And the reason why David takes Goliath's head off is not because he wanted to make sure he was dead. David wanted a trophy. Because that's what it was. See, if you look back earlier in David's story, what you'd realize is David has been passed over by so many people. David was anointed to be king, but when Samuel shows up to anoint the, this person to be king, David's in the, in the field being a good shepherd, and his dad is like, hey, these are all my sons David's left out. Jesse start, or Samuel starts talking to them, finds one of the sons that he thinks this guy is perfect to be the next king. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, he's not the right guy. For the Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. So Samuel looks at Jesse, the father, and says, hey, man, you holding out on me? Do you have any more kids? And he's like, you know what? There's David. He's like 5'2". I mean, you know, like small fella chilling in the field. You're not, you probably, you probably don't want David, right? He brings him and God's like, that's my guy. But can you imagine what it was like for David to walk up to see all of his brothers lined up to find out that he was the last choice by dad? Could you imagine what it would be like to know that his brothers went off to war, were doing a great thing for God's people, and he's just the delivery driver for the picnic basket? And now David sees a great opportunity. He sees the ability to not only do something for God, but to get his name out there to the world. Because if Goliath just falls, it's God's victory. If David takes off his head, now everyone calls him giant slayer. Wow. David needed a trophy for his own ego. Yeah. But the truth is, giants only fall with God's power. And oftentimes what happens in your life and my life is we try and take over for God. We try and play the role that only God can fulfill. Jesus doesn't die so that some of the giants in your life could be overcome. He dies so that every single one of them could fall. And today's the opportunity for you to no longer live with giants in the land. So how do you know if you're operating out of pride? you're taking notes, write this down. Pride is about my glory. Humility is about God's glory. I think that's the distinction for, for David. The reason why David steps in is because he needed some glory and some recognition. The, probably the best news you could hear of all is that even with all the faults, flaws, and failures that David has, he's still considered a man after God's own heart. So if you find yourself here today and you feel like, man, I've got a whole lot of issues, you need to know that through Scripture, the only perfect person that God ever used is Jesus. The rest of them had a ton of problems, especially Peter, and we'll get into that later on. Everybody's got issues. Everybody's got issues. God is faithful through it. Pride is about my glory, humility is about God's glory. Because sin is not a trophy to be collected, it's a debt to be absolved. 
So like in, in your life and my life, sometimes we have a sin issue that we feel like we overcome, but we don't. Scripture's clear that we overcome by, by the word of our testimony, and that's, that's what Jesus did. So we can't take credit for his victory. We just simply get to receive what he already did for us. That's the beauty of the good news of the gospel, that God knew we couldn't fix all of our issues. He knew that we couldn't defeat the giants in the land. The story of David and Goliath is not a story that is all about how you can defeat giants in your life. The story of David and Goliath is to foretell about Jesus. That it wasn't a whole group of people. In the story of David and Goliath, you're not David, you're Israel. There's a giant that you can't defeat, and the giant's name is sin. So Jesus would come, take form of man, and go where we could not go ourselves. He would fight the fight that we could not fight ourselves. He would defeat sin through his death and through his burial and resurrection. Now through him, we get the victory. It's all about Jesus. So if you're taking notes, salvation is letting God kill the giant of sin in my life. So in order to understand what Jesus did for you and for me, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. If you ever meet a pastor that says, you only need the New Testament, you don't need the Old Testament, run. (laughs) You find you another pastor. Because all of God's word is profitable for teaching. Salvation is letting God kill the giant of sin in my life because it's realizing that I can't defeat sin on my own. So Genesis chapter 1, God creates you and I to live in perfection. It's perfect. It's glorious and beautiful. There's direct communion with God. Adam and Eve are experiencing it. And then the enemy comes in. And he tempts Eve and she buys into it. And now there's a separation between God and man. And you might think that's not fair. Life's not fair. Like We know that. It's literally how it works. So now we're stuck with the separation. And so there was a system that was developed in the Old Testament. What they would do is they would make animal sacrifices. And what those sacrifices would be is they would, they would lay the animal on the altar. There would have to be bloodshed in order for the sacrifice to be made. And as the sacrifice goes on, it would give them temporary access to God. But that's not God's original design. God's original design for us was to be in communion with him, to do life with him, to walk, to talk, to love. And so God looks down at humanity and realizes we we can't pay for our sins ourselves. Because of sin, there's a debt that's occurred. Scripture says that the payment of sin is death. So that's why God takes form of man and he comes. And he lives a sinless life. I love what Hebrews says, that we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with us in all things because in all things, he, he went through it. You say, did Jesus ever experience fear? Yeah, he went through it. The coolest story in the world is the garden. Because if you ever want to, the reason why I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior is because you can see in the garden that he didn't want to, but he chose to. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass through me. But nevertheless, he's in translation, I want to do it. I know, God, I know this was the plan. We've been rocking it for 30 years, 33 years. I, I get it. I get it. 
This whole death thing is it's hard. But not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus would then go and he would stand on trial. And that trial that Jesus stood on and the, the one that he was found guilty on was not his trial, it was my trial. Because he had never sinned, but I have. He was found guilty so that I could be found innocent. Those chains, the, the beating, the death that he endured on the cross was really what I deserved. And Jesus has the full power of God. And on the cross, he thinks about you, thinks about me. And rather than stepping off and stepping out, he chooses to die. So our scripture says he was obedient to the point of death. So Jesus would die. He would then be buried for three days. And after three days, he would be raised to life. And now through his death, burial, and resurrection, John says that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is letting God kill the giant of sin in my life because for some of us, we're trying to tackle the other four, and I don't know what those four are. You may not have four. You may have eight. You may have 11. I don't know what, how many giants you have. But if you don't let God cover your sin first, you'll never defeat the other giants. Because what you don't need is you don't need self-help. You don't need good motivation. You don't even need an inspiring message. You need the power of God at work in your life. So Jesus came to defeat sin. You know what Jesus also said? I came so that you might have life and life abundantly. My concern for the local church is that we're just waiting on heaven. Yeah. And God didn't create us to do that. What we need is not only salvation, but we also need deliverance. Deliverance is letting God kill the remaining giants. For some of us, our land is filled with depression, it's filled with anxiety, it's filled with fear and with worry, with doubt, with pride, with addiction. And what God wants to do is set you free from it. God doesn't have to swoop in and kill the giants again. He's already defeated them. What you get to do by surrendering control over to God is letting him already do what he's already done. Because it's already been paid for. That fear that you're holding on to, Jesus already died for. That pornography addiction that you keep holding on to, Jesus already covered it. And if you continue to just hold on to it and to let, let yourself think that somehow it's going to magically get fixed, it's not. The giants you don't kill today come back later. So for some of us in this room, we need salvation. We need to let God's payment for our sin be the first thing we do because we've been trying to pay for our sin through works, through efforts, through deeds. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Others of us, we need to get rid of some junk today because you've been carrying and letting giants live in the land too long. And God gave you everything you needed to kill every giant that's in your life before you walk out today.
So with every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to kill every giant. For some of you, you need to begin with killing the giant of sin. It doesn't happen through your works, your efforts, or your deeds. It only happens through Christ's death on the cross. And so if you're here and you need to receive what Jesus did for you today, to begin a relationship with him, would you just for one second boldly lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I see those. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one's going to pray alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those who made decisions today. Amen. Amen. So that was salvation. Now we're going to get into some deliverance. Because here's the thing. You could leave here the same way you came in. Here's what James says, though. James says, if you know what you ought to do and choose not to do it, it's sin. Meaning, if you leave here today letting giants live in your life, you're walking in disobedience to the plan and purposes that God has for you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you bow your head, close your eyes one more time. Because for some of you, the declaration you need to make today is that I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm asking God to kill the remaining giants in my life. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I've got some giants that are currently living, but I want them gone and dead, would you just lift your hand right now all around the room? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you. Father, right now, through the mighty name of Jesus, we're believing that all giants are dying in our lives. We're not going to continue to hold on or carry anything that is not from you. So, Lord, today we release it into your hands. We trust you to pay for it. We trust you to take care of it because we know that you're a God who desires us to live in freedom and in peace. So, Lord, right now, anything that robs us of peace and joy, we're asking that it be killed in our lives in Jesus' name. Father, any giants that have just laid dormant that we haven't seen in a long time that we need to make sure we get rid of, we pray we turn it over to you today because we know, Lord, that what you have for us is greater than anything this world could ever offer. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.